Welcome to another episode of Infinite... Oh, wait. It's changed. The title of this show is now Review of the Rule Lords. I found out a little bit after making the, the podcast art and coming up with the name that another Pathfinder actual play show already uses that name. They're playing Strange Aeons right now. And I do not want to step over another content creator's toes, especially another Pathfinder one. So I'm going to respect their name title and I'm instead changing it to Review of the Rule Lords. Kind of like the sequel, Adventure Path, Return of the Rule Lords, keeping that motif going. But this is still the same great show where me and my co-host, Beth Perrin. Hello! We're going to be going over third-party content, uh, classes, ancestries, and giving them deep dives. And as often as possible, we want to bring the author into that conversation so that we can figure out what they were thinking when they were making the class. And then we're going to give you an overview of it so that you can compare it to Paizo-specific products and see these classes are just as good quality as ones that you'll get off of Paizo.com. Beth, how have you been doing since the last time that we talked? I'm doing great. Are you kidding me? It seems like everything is sunshine and roses. Yeah, there's nothing going on today or yesterday or through the weekend that could cause any kind of problems whatsoever to third party nothing. publishers. And that's just Absolutely a great not. feeling. For, for context, this is early January. <laughs> you can figure it out. You can put two and two together. So today we are going to be talking about one of the two classes in Frontiers of Magic as written by W. Brian Lane of Lion's Brain. The class that we're going to be talking about is the Shifter. But we're very lucky to have the author himself here. Brian Lane is a physics educator researcher by day and a Pathfinder Infinite author by night, a member of Paizo's Infinite Masters program. <laughs> His publications offer ancestries, archetypes, items, spells, classes, and adventures. He's currently taking part in a year-long Dungeon 23 challenge on Reddit, where he's writing a third-party sequel to the popular Abominations Vault Adventure Path. Welcome, Brian. Hi, everybody. I, I did not know I needed notes about current events, but I'm sure I can throw some together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one has any strong yes. feelings about no, those. No, not at all. Less of all me or my Twitter account. We're not here to talk about that kind of stuff. We're here to talk about you, Brian, and your book, Frontiers of Magic. Over 130 pages of player options for Pathfinder 2nd Edition. So tell us, what is Frontiers of Magic and what were you trying to accomplish? With so Frontiers of Magic is a collection of lots of individual player options uh, that I was really developing independently over maybe a hundred different Google Docs at a time, <laughs> thinking, okay, someday I'll publish this, someday I'll publish this. And I all due respect to my colleagues who publish, you know, short things one at a time because they put out way more titles than I do. But I have a hard time putting out just a single archetype or even a single class in a book because then I feel like I'm asking the reader to take a big risk on that title because it'll be all or nothing. They like it or they don't. Um, I find my best RPG purchases are when a book has lots of options that I may or may not be interested in. And all I need to do is find one or two that I really want to use in my game. And then I feel like that purchase was worth it. And so eventually I realized, wait, I could pull a lot of these together under this 
common theme of stretching magic to its frontiers. We're on a podcast, so I have to say I'm using finger quotes on frontiers <laughs> there. Because um, obviously that, that word frontier, it can be problematic. It doesn't have to be. But sometimes we, we talk about a frontier that is not a frontier for everybody. So it could mean recent discoveries of something to do with magic or maybe a rediscovery of something lost or just something that's been there in the lore. And in terms of the game, we're finally putting mechanical options to it. Mm. And so uh, I I don't think I did this intentionally, but obviously it came out after Secrets of Magic and now it's Frontiers (laughs) of Magic. Um, So I guess you discover the secrets and then you go to the frontiers. I I wish I could say that was intentional. It just sounded (laughs) cool when I was making a title. Still, it's great. Like I always think that the natural sequel to Secrets of Magic is like the gossip of magic or the open secrets of magic, the facts. There's some free titles for the creators (laughs) listening to this. There you go, Paizo. Um, So we're going to be talking about your shifter class today. Tell us, what is the shifter and what is the fantasy behind playing it? Sure. So the context of the shifter in... Secrets of Magic is that it's the martial option in this book. Um, If you're coming wanting to learn a lot of new fighter feats, that's not going to be this book. That'll be a book to be announced, I think. But I wanted to have a combat-focused option in this, and I had been developing a shapeshifter class, and I said, this would be a great opportunity to put this in. So it is magical in nature. Um, You're not a biological shapeshifting ancestry or something. You have simply incorporated some magic into yourself, maybe intentionally, maybe not, uh, that now you can change your your physical form. And so the fantasy is that your PC transforms their body into whatever form they need. So it's a combat-oriented martial class that's got to focus on versatility, where if I need to, if we really need to grapple that creature, um, I can grow some claws that are really good at grappling. Or if I need to reach something that's out of the way, I can turn my arm into an extra long tentacle and grab it. So in fantasy, we might usually think of this as taking on animal forms. We might think of it as something very naturey, but this could also include you know, extending body parts. It could include squeezing through a narrow passageway, or it could include disguising yourself and taking on more of a stealthy operative infiltration tactic. When I was reading through the shifter, I kept back to certain um, like touch points for me from other pieces of, of media and fiction. And so I kept thinking of like Ben 10 or a Beast Boy, stuff like that, that were these like characters that transformed into whole other creatures. What were pieces of inspiration that you took from like pieces of media and pop culture? You you use the magic word transform there. I've, uh, I'm a big Transformers fan uh, growing up. Um, well, I think we talked about it a little bit later, but there's a vehicle mode option that you can take as a shifter. Um, I'm a big Deep Space Nine fan. I like to think of, of um, Odo as a great example of a shapeshifter because he can shapeshift. He just chooses not to all the time. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of put in this whole narrative storyline of, well, he doesn't go around gushing down the promenade as goo because he's been pressured not to do that or he doesn't want to uh you know flaunt his abilities or he doesn't want to be put on display you know and so they they come up with these narrative uh ways of kind of limiting shapeshifting because shapeshifting can kind of be a bit of a world building challenge once you have shapeshifters it's kind of it's kind of wild out there because mm-hmm. anything mm-hmm. could be a mimic anything could be anybody could be a faceless stalker uh but fantasy kind of reigns that in and says okay but that's only going to come in when the gm wants to introduce it right so there's 
there's not going to be, I mean, depending on the game you're playing, maybe you're playing this game, I don't know. There's not going to be a faceless stalker around every corner, I hope. But when you make that a PC option, now you've got it in the party. We've got to put it on par with the fighter, with a wizard, with folks who are confined to one form usually. And so I definitely wanted to keep in mind this this PC option cannot just take shape shifting and run away with it yeah. and cannot become the star of the show because that can, you know, that can quickly become overpowered both mechanically and in terms of the narrative, right? I mean, we want this to be mm-hmm. fun for everybody at the table. And so I tended to focus on, you know, inspiration that would think about how does this fit in with the rest of the party or how does this fulfill a role in a in a larger story? Um, but more generally, my inspiration was I really liked the Pathfinder first edition shifter, which was, I think, the last class to come out for first edition like essentially mm-hmm. right before they announced second edition they released this one more class. yeah i think so yeah but i i understood the the community's possibly overall disappointment with it that it didn't quite deliver what they had been wanting in a shape-shifting focus class and so i wanted to sort of take that lesson and use that to design something that fit both narratively and mechanically and fulfill that fantasy that players wanted to live out let's let's talk about that for a little bit there was an official Paizo made shifter in Ultimate Wilderness for Pathfinder First Edition. I looked over it. There are very big differences, but like, how does your class compare or contrast with the one that Paizo officially published? So, first of all, big plug for Ultimate Wilderness. Um, its mechanics are rooted in First Edition, but it's got a lot of great advice for running wilderness campaigns or exploration uh, that I think does carry over to whatever system you're using. Mm-hmm. Uh, some things that I tried to carry over. Uh, if you're a shifter in first edition, you get things called aspects, which is where you're not quite ready to turn into a bear, but you're starting to get larger muscles. You're starting to get some claws. You're starting to get some fangs. And eventually you turn into a bear and eventually you learn to turn into something else. And this was one of the ways they tried to balance it was that, okay, you can't just turn into anything. You've got something that you like to turn into and you're trying to learn to shapeshift into other forms. So I like that idea that you are a young learning shapeshifter, right? You always want to think about at first level, it does need to be exciting, but you have to acknowledge you just started this adventure, right? You've got to have somewhere to grow into. And so the way I translated that over was that you can learn new forms and you're going to learn forms the way a wizard learns spells, right? If I play a wizard, I can have as many arcane spells as I want in my spell book. But aside from the couple I get every level automatically, I've got to go out and learn those. That now becomes a role-playing part of the story that I have to carry out with my GM. I'm going to do the same thing as a shifter. If I want to learn to change into a bear, I've got to go study bears and Maybe that means I go out and I wrestle a bear and I defeat a bear and I (laughs) study its remains. Or maybe I befriend a bear or I study enough textbooks or enough bears in museums or something where I can take on the bear's form so that it's not, "Eh, yeah, I feel like turning into some random animal today. Um, But what I wanted to do was kind of release that from the mechanical lock that it's under in first edition, make it more of a narrative issue because it does take some time. I mean, Mm. your party doesn't necessarily want you spending an entire month just studying forms just so that you can have 20 plus 
forms that you can turn into. Right. Another thing that I liked in the first edition shifter is that it was an interesting blending of the druid and the monk. Like when you look through its class features, it's got some things that directly come from the druid class and some things that directly come from the monk class, but it still is its own thing. So first edition had these things called hybrid classes that were a mm-hmm. full standalone class. This is not multi-classing. This is where they said, okay, let's suppose you want to get a little from this class and a little from that class, but you don't want to have to pick and choose like what level you're taking which. So the Slayer is a great example because the Slayer was this hybrid of the rogue and the ranger that was a, that everybody wanted to play for yeah, their ranger. That was my first character in first edition. Yeah, yeah. And so the the shifter you might think is a hybrid class, but no, it's a it's an original base class that just borrows some of those elements from the druid and the monk. And so I wanted to bring that in too. And so if you look at my shifter in terms of its class features, it's very much built on the uh, the monk chassis in terms of gotcha. its progressions and what it can do. And then it, well, it does bring in some druid things if you're a primal shifter. We'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> yeah. um, but I wanted to bring in that element of, you know, you are fighting with your body and that's very monk-like. And sure, you can pick up weapons if you need to, because probably everybody should have, you know, a dagger. And maybe a crossbow, least, yeah. but you're probably going to be fighting with your claws and your tails and your tentacles most of the time. That's what I would hope to do if I was, you know, if that was my main power, I wouldn't want yeah. to pull out a, a, an axe. You know, I'd want to have gigantic claws to slash things with. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but there are options where you can use that axe. And I like yeah. that. There already exist options to be able to transform with spells like dinosaur form yeah. or classes. Uh, that have wild shape or you know the archetype beast kin. Mm-hmm. So what makes your shifter class different from someone having just like those little abilities that let them transform, but it's not the primary role class? Yeah, so I, I think you just, you hit on it right there. That's not the primary role of the class, right? If you're a wild shape druid, yeah, you've got wild shape as a focus spell. You can take feats to gain more forms and those battle form spells are really cool and they're really nice and streamlined so that those couple of times a session that you transform, you can easily bring those new stats in. Your AC goes up to some value. You get an unarmed attack. It deals this kind of damage. Okay, go. But you're still a spellcaster who happens to have chosen a polymorph spell, right? You've still got your full spell progression. Not everybody wants to play a spellcaster. Some people want to play magic and... Yeah, some people want to play magic-infused characters, but they don't want to keep track of those spell slots, right? It gets brought up on Reddit about every couple of months. Spellcasters are the only PCs who really have to keep track of daily resources. Everybody else just uses their feats all they want. And yeah, they might have one that's once per day, but it's once per day instead of a table, right? right? And so by putting this at the center of the class, rather than being a thing that gets added on, by making shapeshifting the center, I was able to say, okay, we can do more with this now where you're going to get rather than just stat changes you're going to get some new aspects you're going to get some new abilities that you can use while you're in this form and so like i said the shifter is for the player who wants a little bit of magic to their combat but and and wants to have those polymorph effects but does not want to spell cast and you know end up being the healer or the blaster or something it's very interesting to me the difference between um shifts and shifter forms 
and the wild shape ability, right? Like we have a shape-shifting mechanic of battle forms, right? In the ways that you were just talking. As you were approaching this differently, what kind of design elements did you really keep in mind? Or sort of how did you design a whole new subsystem? Yeah, so the two things you mentioned there, the shifts and the shift reforms, that was my way of balancing out this notion of I want to be a shapeshifter and I want to turn into a wolf versus, well, I just want some fangs. Like, mm-hmm. like I just want a wolf muzzle, but I want to keep my, my, my axes in my hands while I'm doing that. Okay. Yeah. You should be able to do both of those. Um, another thing I had to think about was the difference between my shapeshifting while I'm in combat, where it's making a mechanical difference, it's changing my damage dice, it's changing, you know, my speed or my reach or something. And it has all these mechanical considerations versus, I'm in exploration mode and I just want to be able to say I scout ahead as a bird, mm-hmm. right? Like those those have two different ways of, of approaching it in the game. And second edition is great because of those different modes of play where you have a combat encounter mode and you have an exploration mode. And so what I do basically at the entry point is I say, look, you're going to be shape-shifting in these two different modes. This class is really about giving you combat options. When you want to shape-shift in exploration mode, work with your GM to tell the story. So the example I give is, let's say you are tasked with digging a well for a town and your shifter says, hey, I want to turn my hands into shovels Mm -hmm. to really help out and dig this well. And the GM can say, okay, it was going to take you eight hours. Now it's going to take you six hours, right? It doesn't need to be a feat. It doesn't need to be a, a, a mechanical thing. It doesn't need to be a table. It just needs to be, let's use your shape-shifting powers in a creative way that tells the story, gives the party a little bit of benefit, but doesn't completely obviate the challenge and doesn't then turn into, well, I have a shovel strike now. How much damage does my shovel strike deal? You know, well, you were able to do that because you spent like five minutes getting your hands in the right shape, you wouldn't be able to do that in combat. So when it comes to combat, those two different forms, there's shifts and then there's shifter forms, which I originally had them still labeled as battle forms. And when I started getting more into the rules for battle forms and what they say, I was like, no, this does need to be its own term. What I ended up doing was saying, okay, so there's these two things. One is where you're just changing a part of yourself and one where you are completely transforming. Well, the game already has a designation for that. It already has the morph versus the polymorph trait. And I said, okay, great. So shifts are going to get the morph trait. Shift reforms are going to get the polymorph trait. Now, how do I kind of regulate going in and out of these, right? Because, you know, on the one hand, you don't want the shifter outshining everybody else at the table. On the other hand, you still want it to be a challenge for the player to strategize about this. And I said, okay, so shifts should be something that you can just enter. So maybe it costs an action. You should probably only do one at a time so that we're not getting too carried away. And, you know, you're having to maintain this focus on this, but you should be able to do it at will otherwise. Wait a minute, I just described a stance. So the shifts have the stance and the morph trait. And it's like, okay, there's already rules for this. There's already other feats for this. So like now I can go to the monk because I had wanted to bring in monk elements to this. So now I can go to the monk class and say, okay, here's all these feats about stances and I can get more out of my stances. So I can just port those over now. I know, by the way, they are stances. So if I'm a monk multi-classing into shifter, I've got lots of stances to work with now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Trust me, that was something I thought of. 
Whereas for the shifter forms, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm transforming my entire body. That takes a little bit more effort. That sounds like a focus spell, which is great because wild shape is already a focus spell. You are a, you are more focused on shape shifting than a wild shape druid is, but you're not overpowering the wild shape druid who might be in your party. Yeah. Plus if you take druid, even more shaping that yeah. you get to do. Yeah. Cause focus points are focus points. So yeah. you might as well pick some up I from an interesting place. Points. Yeah. My favorite. So that's a lot about the shifter. We're going to go into much more depth about it in our overview, but I cool. did want to give you a chance to talk about a couple of the other options that you have in your book. One of which is the mesmerist class, which seems to me to be kind of like a, a hypnotist. So tell us a little yeah. bit about what that is. So I also loved the mesmerist in Pathfinder first edition. Um, RIP, my, my, res- my mesmerist fighter, Kel <laughs> did not survive. <laughs> a, 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 there was a kobold cleric that just wiped out the entire party. Oh. Um, but I really liked the mesmerist. It was one of those occult classes that uh, a lot of people tended to gravitate toward. And a lot of that stuff has now been subsumed into the psychic and the thaumaturge and a little bit even into the bard. Um, and so a cold in second edition, they're, they're allowing you to play out a lot of those fantasies, but they're maybe consolidating some of it. So I began the mesmerist, I think definitely before psychic came out. Yeah, yeah, definitely before psychic and thaumaturge came out. So that was my take on the spooky side of a cult as opposed to the um, emotion manipulation side of a cult that the bard represents. I remember when it was announced that bard was going to be the flagship occult class in the core rulebook, and everybody said, what? And then they explained what occult means in terms of influencing the mind and the spirit. And it was like, well, no, actually, that doesn't make sense. You wouldn't put that in, in divine or primal. You might could put it in arcane, but I like it being in occult. Um, yeah. And so I actually, speaking of you know class structures, I, I basically borrowed the, the bard class structure because if it ain't broke, why change it? Sure. Um, and so the whole idea of the mesmerist is that you are playing around with the target's mind in a way that the bard doesn't because the bard is, is either happy or dirgy depending on, on which direction they're going. The mesmerist is really about really getting into the other characters' minds. And sometimes that can mean, you know, I am giving somebody the frightened condition or I am uh, making them see enemies that aren't there. Or it can also mean I am planting a suggestion speaking of hypnotists, I'm planning a suggestion in my ally's mind that no, they really can climb up that wall <laughs> if they're untrained in <laughs> athletics and, you know, kind of giving them those kind of bonuses. And so I had a lot of fun with the, uh, with the mesmerist. One of the things that came up in the first edition mesmerist is that the way you are extending your mind is through some other plane. Mm-hmm. And I really took that and ran with it and say, okay, that's going to be any plane you want, because if we have this great planescape, why limit it? And so one of the things you choose as a mesmerist is what plane your mind is touching and that determines some extra spells you get and some extra feats you can take. But it was a lot of fun to write and to build sample characters and try to figure out, okay, if I'm doing this, what am I doing in combat? How am I helping? What am I, what does my action economy look like if I've got these different mind manipulation spells? I know that there are people who would, you know, love to just have the the enemy drop their stuff and then pull down their pants and then run away or or something. Sounds like something you could do. I should mention I added some spells to the book. Um, There's spells for all kinds of casters, but a good chunk of those I wrote to support the mesmerist to do Mm. that type of thing where you can't see your equipment on yourself anymore, or, or you, you can't draw a weapon without overcoming, you know, your inner desire for peace or something like that. Right. And then the only other thing that players 
love more than classes are archetypes. Oh, and man. you have a couple. Aggressive mage. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Aggressive mage, incapacitator, illusioneer, and wishing mage. We'll talk about a couple of the shifter ones in a little bit, but uh, give us a little breakdown on each of those ones. Yeah, so this book was originally my magic archetypes book. And then I said, it needs something a little meatier. And that's really where the shifter and the mesmerist came in was to be sort of the, the sort of class anchors and then everything else kind of comes around that. So yeah, so I wrote a bunch of archetypes. Uh, I thought they were really fun. And then Secrets of Magic came out and we finally learned what a class archetype was because <laughs> class archetypes were defined in the core rule book, but they didn't give us any or in the or in the APG, there weren't any class archetypes. And we also put, what is this thing? And when they came out, I said, okay, this is great design space because now I can say, I'm going to subtract something from your class and add something back in. And right. so that's really fun to play around with spellcasters because you can do things like change the spell list. So the example we have of that right now in Paizo material is the elemental spell list, which is basically, you want to be a blaster? Okay, here are all the blasty spells, go. And so that's where I got things like the Wishing Mage, where you have a limited spell list that's focused on just making impossible things happen. Or or something like the Aggressive Mage, where I play around with spell attack rolls versus spell DCs, right? So those are the same number, just one is 10 plus the other. Um, the Aggressive Mage is where you get an option to say, no, I'm going to be better at spell attacks, but my spell DCs are going to suffer. And so there's there's some interesting design space opened up there. Now that you're playing around with people's classes, you can say, I can give you something that's a little bit more powerful if I take away something that your class had before. So one of the things that I first noticed when I opened up the PDF is, well, two things. One, it's 139 pages. <laughs> Holy moly, this thing is massive. Which we we've talked about how it's two classes, ton of different archetypes. There's a bunch of spells. You said it like there's a few spells. There are more than a few spells. <laughs> I should um, say there's a few sections of spells because I yeah I, they're, they're, that yeah. is more accurate. Yeah. Uh, and then second, I noticed that there was a foundry link. And yeah. so one of the first things I did when I started looking into this stuff, well, what's in the Foundry link? And all of those aforementioned spells are in that. So I kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. What is yeah. it converting something that you've written for publication to a virtual tabletop system? Yeah, so I learned how to create stuff for Foundry after I published this. So mm -hmm. um, the Foundry support you mentioned is ongoing. Um, not everything is supported yet. I am basically, I'm going through the book now and adding stuff uh, as I go. It turns out classes are really hard. Like if somebody would love, if somebody would like to do a video tutorial on making a class in Foundry, that would get a lot of views from me. <laughs> um, but spells were a great place to start with. First of all, because I had to make custom spell lists. So one of the first things in the book is the Chromatic Mage, which has its own light-based spell list. So it's got all of the chromatic spells, all of the prismatic spells, and anything that plays around with light or illusion, it's got. And so I said, okay, so I need to add this spell list if I'm going to upload this archetype to Foundry. Oh, shoot, that means I need to add the spells I wrote <laughs> that go into this archetype. And so spells were a great place to start with because they're small. You, you can do a couple at a time and then take a break. And the formatting is very straightforward to follow. Like pretty much any spell variation you want is already there. So if you've got a spell that it's, well, it's like this one, but it does this instead. Okay, great. Just copy paste that and then modify it. 
put it in your compendium. Um, I'm speaking like a programmer here. Copy, paste, modify <laughs> is our is our mantra. Yeah. Um, the archetypes are also a great place to start because essentially you're making a collection of feats and the feats are nice. They're, they're bite-sized nuggets. The classes are proving to be really fun to do. Um, I'm actually <laughs> working on a couple classes right now that are a little bit more martial focused that I'm, I'm play testing in Foundry because play testing is a lot easier in Foundry because I can just throw in a map, throw in a few iconics and then add my little guy to the party. Um, <laughs> but those are requiring me to go in and say, okay, what is this thing that I'm bringing in? Like, let's say I'm let let's say I'm 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 working for Pi Zone. I'm designing the Thaumaturge, and I have exploit vulnerability. Where does that go? Because it's not a feat. It's not a spell. I guess it's an it's an action. So I have to go and create an action that does these things. So how do I automate this process? And so I'm learning some things that can be automated very quickly, and some things that the system itself might have to grow before it can be fully automated. I was even on I was searching the Foundry Reddit recently uh, for somebody who was trying to do a similar thing to what I was trying to do with a the class. They said, "How would I design a new category or a new or a new, or a new tab on the character sheet to track this?" And they said, "You would have to create a new system." <laughs> Like you would have to take yeah. the PF2 system and rewrite it. That would not be a mod. So yeah. there there may be some things that are not quite as fully integrated as we might like, but you know, I'll keep revisiting it as I learn more about sure. Foundry and continue to update that. Well, this is a great looking book. We're going to do a little bit more of a deep dive into the mechanics of the shifter. But before we let you go, Brian, where can people find you or what other projects uh, can people get a taste of Lion's Brain Gaming? I spend a lot of time on the Infinite Possibilities Discord, which if you are at all interested in third-party content, it's a great place to come ask questions, eavesdrop on the chatter between a lot of third-party publishers. Um, if you're thinking about publishing, it's a great place to learn how people's processes work. If you just want to learn a little bit more about what's coming out or get announcements, that's a great place to go. Uh, Twitter, while it's still standing, I'm there at Lion's Brain. Uh, I'm also on Dice Camp, uh, also at Lion's brain. Um, you can also see me very soon at Third Party Con. Looking forward to that. Um, I am uh, hoping to demo some things. So I've got a sample already up on Pathfinder Infinite that I'm hoping some uh, uh, streamers or players will pick up that, that weekend. And then I'm also hoping to host a stream about the, the third party creation process. We're very glad to have had you on. We're very excited about this class. I'm personally excited to have you be on Third Party Con. But with that, Brian, uh, we're going to let you go. And we'll be back right after this brief message to talk to you more about the shifter. Hello, my name is James Beck from Eldritch Osiris Games. Eldritch Osiris Games is the first TTRPG workers co-op in history specializing in Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Eldritch Osiris Games is built on the foundation of giving voices to creative authors who don't normally have a roadmap into the publishing industry. We push forward as a diverse set of voices in the company, regardless of a person's identity. Part of the foundation is equality, with every person in the staff having a say on all important decisions the company makes. Being the first TTRPG co-op, we are here to set an example that workers' equality is not only possible, but instead become the industry standard. Basically, we're a group of nerdy friends who want to publish work for people to enjoy. You can find amazing work such as the Ironclad and Symbiote class, or dive into new ancestries like the Uplifted Bear. And if you're a GM, 
Check out our amazing one-shots and bestiaries to spice up your combats and adventures. Find all of this and more on EldritchOsirisGames.com or follow us on Twitter at EldritchOsiris for constant updates. Well, I guess we should get the rules lore talking again. And we're back and we're going to go deeper into the shifter. But before that, we have a couple little extra things that we want to talk about. Uh, the first one is third party con. And I'm going to talk about this because it's very close to my heart because I'm organizing it. This is a special con that we are having totally online uh, as a celebration of the Paizoverse. This is going to be an opportunity for players and game masters to get to interact with content creators and third-party publishers by trying out their content through demo games, watching live plays, watching a 24-hour streaming schedule that we're going to have of all of the interviews that we'll be getting from different content creators, different faces in the gaming space. So this is going to be a great event to really celebrate the community that Pathfinder and you know even Starfinder as just a game has fostered. Uh, so I'm very excited about it. It's February 17th through 20th of 2023. If you want to find out more information about it, you can go to pf2events.com. You can also go to the Reddit r slash Pathfinder2e where we're going to be talking about it uh, up until the event. We're accepting demos from third-party publishers Please go to pf2events.com and be part of this first ever celebration of the Paizoverse. So that's my pitch. Beth, what do you got? So normally, I say normally, like we've done <laughs> like this we've more done than this. <laughs> one episode. <laughs> but normally, uh, I like to bring you something else, some other third party content. This episode, I am bringing you dun, 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 the rest of this book. <laughs> so <laughs> today we are talking about the shifter class, right? That is one section in a book that, as I stated earlier, was 139 pages. It is yeah. a massive book. It has tons of good content in it. I haven't even been able to finish it all. Now, part of that is because I'm super busy, but also because there's a lot here. There is absolutely a ton here. So please, absolutely please, if you like anything that I'm going to say about the shifter, you're going to love the rest of this book. I especially find it interesting that in a book called Frontiers of Magic, we picked the Marshall class to review. So, because <laughs> of course we did. Um, well, it's but, a very unique working Marshall. Class. I love it. Yeah, yeah. We're and we're, and we're going to talk about how unique it is because it really is. Uh, but there's so much more here, and if you liked Secrets of Magic, this just gives you even more to work with. So. That is what I, what else I wanted to talk about before we got into it. Yes, and we are going to get into it hard. So we're going to start off with just the, the basics, the stuff that you get in the first couple of pages before you get into the real meat and potatoes of the class starting at level one. Beth, what do you get as a shifter from level one when you're just getting off ground? So the first thing that caught my eye was key ability score. Now, the first two, that's right, the first two, stre strength and dex. Makes perfect sense. If we're talking about a shifter class, 
we're typically talking martial, right? Strength and dex. Right. The third key ability score is charisma. And a lot of you might be thinking, huh, that's kind of strange. Me too, until I started reading. There are so many social options or role play options or social encounter type stuff. It's amazing. This inspired me <laughs> to write uh, like an adventure surrounding it because it is so cool. And we're going to talk about Ooh. some of those options later. But the fact that you can pick your key ability score is charisma. Absolutely choice. Now, there's three out of the gate. La just keep that in mind because later yeah. after I go over everything else, there's actually going to be a secret fourth option. So, hmm. but we'll get there. Okay. Uh, Next, we've got hit points. So it's 10 plus constitution. Pretty standard for a martial class. Sure. You get expert perception, expert fortitude and reflex saves. All of this, pretty again, standard. Yeah. pretty standard. Skills I found to be kind of interesting. You are automatically trained in deception, which is kind of cool and really does lean into that socialness. Absolutely. With every single shifter that I can ever think of in movies or something like that's their primary fooling other people, whether they actually do it or not, because, you know, know the secret questions or something. But like, deception makes a lot of sense. No, absolutely. You get one that's determined by your subclass, which is going to be your tradition, and then one that is determined by your favorite form. You kind of got a sense of what forms were like in the interview portion of this, but don't worry, we'll explain it all. We'll come back to that. So automatically, you're going to get three skills. Then you get two plus your intelligence modifier. Five skills right off the bat. Yeah, not bad for a martial class. Trust me, you could do worse. <laughs> Look at you, fighter. Then we have attacks. So uh, you are trained in simple and unarmed attacks. This is in no way surprising to anybody. Sure. Very much like the monk. He talked about how inspiration was from his monk. Makes sense. You're trained in light you're armor. You're going to be using unarmed attacks most of the time with all the tentacles mm. and claws and stuff that you got. Pop possibly. Possibly. Maybe. Ooh, okay. But we'll get there. <laughs> okay. Next, we have your defenses, which is trained in light armor, expert in unarmored defense. So there's that monk inspiration that right. we were talking about before. And again, you're trained in your shifter class DC. Pretty standard stuff to everything. So that's right out of the gate. But what do you get as you start to advance with this class? As you get better, the stuff that we're going to talk about later, the actual shape shifting, right, mm. which is the core concept of the class, is going to get better and better. But let's talk about kind of the other stuff that goes along with it, because I think that there is some stuff there. So every even level, you're going to get a shifter feat and a skill feat, standard to all classes. Sure. At third, ninth, and then 17th level, that's when your forms are going to get better. So you're, we're going to talk about these advanced part of your aspects mm -hmm. uh, or, or your forms. That is what levels you get those. Your strikes in whatever form they may be, unarmored or not, <laughs> or uh, wielding a weapon or not, uh, level up at 5 and 13th level. So you get master strikes. You're never going to get legendary, sure. which tracks like the only ones who get legendary I think are fighters. You get weapon weapon specialization at seventh level and greater weapon weapon specialization at 15th, which is great. 11th level, you get to enter a shift whenever you enter your favorite form. 
Now, remember what we talked about in the interview portion, and we'll be going over this again in a bit. That is going to allow you to enter a stance right away. Already as a base core concept of the class. Like, you don't have to take a feat to do that. Now, you can take feats to do it much better. Yeah. But the fact that you get that as a core ability is kind of cool. Yeah. However, I think that it comes with the biggest drawback of this class, which is that 11th level, your class DC that remember I just mentioned goes to expert. It never goes to master. Oh. And that is really going to limit uh, later levels um, what damage you're going to be outputting. Okay. Right. Anything that goes off of your class DC is really going to limit that. So, mind you, that would have been probably at 19th level, like the rogue, or it could have been at 17th level, like the monk. Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, pretty high level of play. I don't think it's like the worst thing. I don't think that means I'll never play this, but it is pretty telling in my opinion. Right. You're going to be relying on other things to help you out, either like the effects of a feat, Mm -hmm. it sounds like, or the specific shift that you go into more than the base number. Exactly. Well, and a lot of your shifts rely on like your strength Mm -hmm. and your decks and stuff like that too. So just something to keep in mind. Sure. Finally, the capstone ability level 19 is something called novel gestalt, which let's just be real here is a a pretty cool name of an ability. (laughs) It is very cool. Cool. But what's it mean, Beth? Fair enough. This is something that you get to create whole cloth. You get to design a shaper, a shifter form with your GM. So you can say everything that goes into it. You get to build your own third party form and this becomes your new like favorite form, right? Mm -hmm. This is what you want to turn into all the time. I think it's uh, an awesome ability. The idea of getting to create something that's uniquely your character is really awesome, but it's at level 19. So, yes, I'll have words about that a little bit later. But those are the core progression of the class. Uh, obviously, we have gone over a lot of terms that may not entirely make sense to you as a listener. So, let's go over a couple of these core concepts. The first of which is what shape shifting is at all in reference to this class. Yeah. So, shape shifting in terms of the shifter is going to be something very specific, right? So your shape-shifting is going to manifest in one of two ways. You are either going to manifest a shift or a form. And we kind of went over this uh, earlier, that a shift is going to be some small change or partial alteration, where a form is a full uh, transformation of your body. Right. Additionally, there is base rules for exploration. And I absolutely love this because whenever you're talking about shape-shifting, you usually get, right, this balance concept of like, Mm -hmm. well, you know, exactly like what Brian said earlier, I want shovel hands. I don't necessarily want a shovel hand attack. 
right? right? The fact that you can more freely adjust your form in exploration mode is really awesome. And the fact that they took design consideration for that automatically is exactly what I wanted to see in a shifter class. We can't go into how you make those changes without talking about mm-hmm. how you collect those changes, which is known in this book as the Nexus. Tell us a bit about that. Every shifter gets a spell book. I mean a Nexus. (laughs) (laughs) This one, I'll be honest with you. I had trouble buying into this concept. I get it from a balance perspective, but the idea of a um, nexus that you remember forms for was a hard sell for me. But as it works, it is a internal repository of forms that you can assume. Anytime you gain knowledge of another creature or you gain another shift or a form, you're going to put this in this internal repository called the Shifter's Nexus. Right. You begin play with, as we're going to go over, again, that shift versus form. You get three shifts and one form that you just get to pick from the available list, which is awesome. And then you get um, one shift and one form that's from your tradition, right? So just like any other subclass, whenever you pick it, you're going to get additional benefits for those. Right. This is going to be daily preparation. So every day you can prepare a certain number of Right. Like Shifts. a prepared spellcaster, wizards and stuff. Not exactly. spellcaster. Yes, exactly. So if you don't think about being a bear, you don't get to be a bear that day. Exactly. So you do have to take daily preparations for this. There is also a downtime activity where you can add shifts and forms to your nexus. Uh, What to say about (laughs) expand nexus. So you spend a day studying a creature and then you have to make a roll, right? Of like how much knowledge have I gained that I add this to my nexus, right? Right. And it's this idea that we talked about in the interview portion, right? You know, do you hang out with the bears? Do you dissect the bear? Do you melt the bear in acid? I don't know. What you do, it is a bit much, right? Because this leads to how your character becomes more adaptable, right? And so putting that uh, behind downtime, and some people take advantage of downtime much more than others, can be difficult. So I would definitely work with your GM on that if you're finding you're not able to get that downtime for the abilities that you want. And as GM, you might have to limit your shifter's exposure to uh, zoos as they (laughs) travel around Galarian. Or they, you know, start kidnapping animals. (laughs) Or or are they just going to hang out with the monkeys all day? They're just going to sit there for eight hours staring at a giraffe. Okay, that's that's a pretty funny image. Like, come on. <laughs> Did you imagine? And of course, the party barbarian goes with him because the barbarian wants to stare at the giraffes too. Right. Next thing you know, it becomes a whole outing that you were not prepared for as the GM. And then you have the ability to, at the end, make a roll. And you could have been there that whole time and be like, I learned nothing about this. I don't understand giraffes. Why are their necks so long? How does that even work? 
I don't know. Yeah, no, you can totally fail. And if you crit fail, and this is a recall knowledge, using a skill in DC that would be relevant to the creature. So for a giraffe, it would be nature. Say your nature just sucks, which Mm. if you were this class, you'd need it. So don't, don't let your nature suck. But say it did, and you made that recall knowledge check. If you critically failed, you can never try again. <laughs> so giraffes, giraffes just remain elude an enigma. You. <laughs> you never figure out how they have the same number of vertebrae in their neck as you do. And you're just like, I can't. Right. But uh, uh, not sure I feel about that. <laughs> but as this is a, a type of magic, I get to mention that this is my favorite type of magic, which is focus points. Insert the 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 horn thing. Do, 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 do. I love focus points. I do too. I also love that you get one automatically. So not all classes do. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually you have to take a feat of some sort to get access to you know a, a focus spell or whatever. You get one automatically as a shifter, which is great. Now I should explain that when we're talking about shifts and forms, you only need a focus point to go full form. Right. To to do a shift of a, that partial body alteration, you want a tentacle arm. Um, you do not need to spend a focus point on that. Yes, but I found the ways to refocus to be very. Most of these make sense. Uh, contemplating the form of your shifter's nexus. Okay, so you're going to think about being a bear real good. Think about hibernation and stuff. Okay, that's fine. Uh, Begin studying a creature whose form you'd like to adopt. Okay, you see a bird, like, oh man, it'd be cool to fly. Uh, Then there's resting in a pile of formless matter. (laughs) I think there are many different ways to (laughs) interpret what that could be, but that's one of the ways you can refocus is being in a pile of formless matter. Again, all I can think of is the barbarian being like, that's nasty. <laughs> right. I see Ian like, Malcolm mm-mm. walking up and be like, oh, that is one big pile of formless matter. But that's a blob. <laughs> oh man, is that is that what the guy was in Ghostbusters 2? I, I don't remember. The ooze? That. Oh man. Ooze ooze could make sense. Yes, I suppose. You could just a pile of pink gloop lie on the remains of a gelatinous cube (laughs) yeah no that's pretty it's pretty awful now we got to go into the different types of shifting that you can do as a shifter and shifts and forms we already talked a little bit about it shifts are partial transformation so uh think about those times in movies where you had someone who had transformation abilities and their body stayed pretty much exactly in human form but their arm turned into a giant hammer that's a shift whereas form is turning into a completely new but tell us beth what are the mechanical differences between these so we've already talked about it quite a bit right this is just like a stance would be you take one action to assume one of these shifts and then you gain whatever benefit of that stance You can only take one at a time. Again, fits into the stance mechanic, I think, really, really well, Mm -hmm. which is super great. 
a couple of examples just to kind of give you an idea of what we're talking about with these shifts. One of them is horn, right? You grow one or more horn horns from the top of your head. You gain an unarmored attack that deals bludgeoning damage. And as an exploration action, you can actually hold an item of light bulk in your horns, which I think it's kind of funny. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Most of these, this gives you a great outline of what most of these look like, right? You're going to get typically, not always, but typically some sort of an attack option, right? Some mechanical benefit within combat. And then there's almost always an exploration example, right? This is what it will grant you in, during exploration mode. These are also the most versatile because they're largely one action as far as I saw. Yeah, yeah. Especially you can get feats later to adjust that, right? Just like you would any stance. But yeah, it, to use these is one action, which is freaking great. I do want to kind of point out adaptive shift. It is not something that you're going to get access through a form. So do be aware of it. But it is legitimately the best shift on the list. So you get to sure. build build your own. I was looking at that one too. That seems like Pathfinder 2E has largely tried to step away from like required feats. But mm -hmm. I have a hard time imagining taking this class, seeing that one and being like, now nah, I'll skip out. You kind of you want to do your own thing. So that seems like one you're, you're going to want to have in repertoire. But understand that if you don't start play with it, you can't get access to it through a form. So you're going to have to somehow gain that. Right. right. Adaptive shift. So um, just be aware of that. I, it's definitely one that I would take a level one, hands yeah. down. <laughs> and I will say, uh, just just briefly, I will say there are a few balance issues with some of these. Uh, we'll talk about it again when we talk about feats. Just sometimes there's one option that's just the obvious choice, mm. right? And then you've got everything else that's very situational, but then you you have this thing that's like, yes, obviously, I'm going to take that. Right. So if if you're somebody that cares a lot about balance within your class, there's going to be some things that are different, right? That are uh, a little less balanced. Mm -hmm. So just be aware of that. And then there's uh, shifts, which are described as a shifter's shifter form alters your entire body. Yeah, that sentence just sent me into a coma. <laughs> <laughs> it's just too much. Yeah, so we're talking about forms, specifically shifter forms. And yes, the sentence is, a shifter's shifter forms alters your entire form. And I know that they're trying to get like a very specific point across here, but there was a, a lot, lot of duplicate going on. words. Yeah. Yeah. There's just a lot going on that when we're talking about a form, we're talking about a full body transformation. It costs two actions. Additionally, it will cost a focus point unless it's your favorite form. Don't worry. We'll get back to it. When you go into that form, you automatically get a shift, right? So when we're right. talking about uh, shifts, let's say your shifter form is a unicorn, right? Right. You automatically get a horn right. and you aren't in that stance trait. Right. So then you can actually spend a third action assuming another shift going right. into a stance. So that's pretty great, actually, that you get 
you get that shift for free and you don't have to have had it prepped for that day either. Right. That gives you a little bit more versatility. Exactly. Um, forms, just like shifts, go into your spell book. Oh, Sorry, wait, I meant mean Nexus. Nexus. I do mean Nexus, which is your brain. It goes into your brain. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and you can have a level rounded up prepped each day. So at three, you'll have two, four, Correct. you'll also have two, five, you'll have three, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I did forget to, min- to mention this, but you get five shifts a day, like permanently, just five. Gotcha. Uh, forms and shifts do benefit from item bonuses. So one of the things that a lot of you druid players out there have been um, perhaps dissatisfied is that your forms don't necess- don't benefit from items and stuff like that. These forms, shifter forms, do benefit. So be aware of that. Pretty great. You need that with uh, hand wraps, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Yep. So your punches will do extra dice and all of that. Right. Okay. Uh, but then you get to have a favored form, which is a free form in your nexus, your brain, uh, that you get to spend without using a focus point. These are extra super duper special. If you feel like you're always going to be a dinosaur, that would be my. I'm just always going to default to dinosaur whenever I get a dinosaur choice. It's like the one I would go to would be a Velociraptor. You can still choose to be other things, but like that's your goat. So tell us like what other special goodies do you get with the favorite? So the favorite form actually comes as part of your tradition. So every class in Pathfinder, right, there is the type of class you are, right? There's mm-hmm. a type of rogue, your racket. Um, there's the wild order for druid, stuff like that. For shifters, that comes in the form of a tradition, right? We know the magical traditions, so it's pretty easy to guess what four there are. Right. And then you get two benefits, right? You get a mechanical benefit that's from your tradition, and then you additionally get that favored form of that type. Right. So as an example, divine, right? You, your shifter powers come from a deity who has enabled your soul to express itself in multiple forms. You get to turn into angels, right? Exactly. Or beings of pure chaos, whatever. Never (laughs) floats your boat. Uh, There's a lot of options for divine, um, but that's exactly what it is. Right? Right. So you get a skill. Guess what? It's religion. <laughs> uh, you get to choose a deity. And then for the mechanical benefit of picking divine, and this is where earlier I was talking about a lot of this class is focused on unarmed strikes. This is the exception to that. If your deity's favorite weapon is a martial weapon, you treat it as a simple weapon. If it's already a simple weapon, you gain the cleric deadly simplicity feat. You also learn an additional language. So that allows you to take advantage of weapon feats right? and really focus on that. And there are actually shifter feats that benefit when you use a weapon as well. Like one of the feats you can get is attack of opportunity, which you can use on arm strike too. But still, not everything is focused on arm strike. Right. Then we're not going to go through all of the tr- traditions. There's only the four, but I feel like divine gives you an idea of what how they're kind of laid out, right? Yeah. Then you have primal. And let me tell you, if I was a DM who gave a toot about balance, (laughs) this would break me as a person. I don't really, but I would probably change some of this language because as a primal tradition, 
You are part of a Druidic order. You learn the Druidic language, become bound by Druid anathema, you choose a Druidic order. You gain that order's listed feat, and you are considered part of this order's prerequisite. You get a Druid dedication for free. And there's a lot that come with this. It, it is absolutely a lot. Any spells you gain from your Druid order, uh, you use your classes DC proficiency and your charisma. So if you're a charisma shifter, that's great right there. When you choose a shifter class feat, you can also choose any druid feat. Which is... So it's better than a <laughs> druid dedication. Right. So there is divine, which allows you to treat a martial weapon as a simple weapon. And then there's druid orders. One of these things is not like the <laughs> other. And I am going to break and describe the other two. Arcane is... Uh, you get, you get some cantrips. You get a cantrip. You get a cantrip that you had access to as an innate cantrip, which is, you know, that's good. Um, yeah, that's fine. And you get it's a not language. druidic order. It's not druidic order. I really like the flavor of occult, though, which is that if you transform for the first time in front of uh, one of your enemies within 30 feet, they have to do a will save against your class DC. And on a failure, they are flat footed to you. So basically, like this person is freaking out watching you transform in front of their eyes and just so I super I love cool that. love it yeah so but now we get to talk about a couple of our favorite bits about this class now that you understand like the the essentials of what a shifter is starting with the shifts we've already talked about a couple but Beth I know that there's one that you're really excited about <laughs> okay so I had to literally hold myself back during the interview portion from asking about the wheels <laughs> So, ha have you played much Pokemon, Pete? Oh, yeah. I grew up. So, there's, it. yeah. So, there's a new Pokemon game out. Yeah. Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. And I've been playing so much of it. And your legendary literally has wheels and they become a bicycle that you ride throughout the whole game. Oh, my God. Which I love. Love that. Love that for me. It's super great. I picked Violet, of course, because the legendary is way cooler. Fight me. All of this to say, you can have wheels. Yeah. <laughs> you can become a vehicle. You have to take a feat for it, but yep. you can literally get wheels. That is one of the, the feats. I loved seeing it. You get to be a car. I just, I can't even. I The <laughs> fact, and so what I have pondering in my little brain is if you are an automaton, if you're an android and then you take the shifter class, are you a transformer? I think I think so. That makes sense. I think you're me. a transformer. Yeah. And as an android, you're originally right an alien, which mm -hmm. transformers were aliens. <laughs> so I'm just saying. So that that's that's a, a quest item for you, GMs. When you have your transformer player, uh, you need to find the the Galarian equivalent of the Allspark somewhere around there. Yes, love that. And then the ones that I really liked, the first one is disassociated arm, where Saw your that. disassociated arm they disperse into a nimbus of particles is the, the word, which you can momentarily re-solidify inside of a creature's body. I want to say that again for those kids in the back. You can put your arm back together inside someone's body. <laughs> which is incredible. 
And then another one that I love uh, because I've seen this so much in, you know, various animes and movies is uh, mass distribution where your mass becomes mm. malleable and you can adjust its location within your body. When you enter the shift, you choose uh, to do one of the following. Choose one melee on armed attack or you can gain a 10 foot status bonus to your speed. So you're basically either throwing all of your weight into like a super mega fist that you're going <laughs> to hit some one with or like growing like large legs and just zipping across the battlefield so very anime i thought that those were pretty great so anime it's perfect <laughs> um it's great i do want to mention going backtracking just a little bit with the disassociated arm mm -hmm. did you see what the exploration effect was on that one Oh. You are considered to be wearing thieves tools. Oh, that's cool. I didn't so like that. So I just I like that. I just get this idea of again, whenever I look at these classes, I always put them in a party, right? So earlier yeah. I was talking about the barbarian. Your rogue fails to pick a lock. You walk up and you put your arm inside the lock and it pops open and you're like, there it is. <laughs> That is great. That it's rogue like, now hates you. That's uh, having your arm or your finger turn into a key and you're just like, whoop. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> I um, love it. So the, the sh there are a couple of really great shifts. There's, you know, ones with claws, venom, uh, tentacles, all the kind of stuff that you'd expect to get. Many of which we will see from forms as well. And this is, I think, where the real meat of the class is. Uh, so we tried to keep it just to a couple of our favorites. Uh, Beth, why don't you start with one of your favorite forms that is in this class? So I absolutely love all of the forms, right? We've already talked about some of the things that you can kind of turn into. My absolute favorite, favorite, and this is one you can take at first level. I will do want to make a note here. We're gonna be, when we talk about these forms, we'll say what level they are because they do have levels. So certain things you won't be able to get access to until later levels and then you would retrain your ability to use that so say my favorite form at level one is a creepy doll because that's an option <laughs> once i level up i could pick other forms right to to be my favorite form so just keep that in mind but i don't know why you ever would because at first level you get access to creepy doll <laughs> this is a arcane divine or occult tradition so three of the four, um, sorry, Primal, you're too good with your druidic order. Your shift makes you smaller in stature, so you shrink down, right? Because you're a creepy doll. <laughs> uh, but the skill you get, and this is the best, intimidation. Ooh. Because of course you are. Because of course you are. It's a creepy doll. Yeah. You transform. Annabelle. Exactly. Or what's the new movie that's coming out? It's like Megan. I think it's called Megan. Ah, right. Uh, so you transform into an ambulatory doll, which if you have a poppet in your party, I'm positive they are not going to appreciate this joke. But <laughs> you gain a blank stare that demoralizes a target, and then you get a ranged unarmed stare mental attack. I freaking love it. <laughs> so good uh as you level up remember earlier i was talking you you level up from like i think it's fifth ninth right. 13th level you get a reaction called a stuffing loss whenever you take a bleed damage stuffing fills out 
<laughs> and then you immediately get to use a blank stare against the person that did this to you. Right. I absolutely love it. You can become a lifeless doll. And then as your major aspect, you gain levitate. As an innate spell, you cast at will. You're just a levitating creepy doll. Yeah. I absolutely adore this. Whenever I think of a shifter, this is not what I think about. And I love that. I think it subverts expectations and it's perfection. And my favorite first level form is, you know it's coming up, dinosaur form. It's a primal tradition that you can get at level one. And, you know, this is going to be more, you know, basic claws that you get uh, or jaws. One cool thing is that you can stomp to grapple creatures two sizes smaller than you with your feet. So basically standing on top of them. And if you do, they also become prone. One of the coolest aspects they have is rending toss. Uh, which is a three action move where you get to attempt two claw attacks and a jaw attack in any order. If two of the three attacks hit, you deal persistent bleed damage. But if two of the three attacks critically hit, the target is also not prone. This is basically that scene of the T-Rex grabbing the Velociraptor and then just whamming him into uh, the skeleton in Jurassic Park. And I love that. And then yeah. there's also stuff like Thundering Charge. Uh, Roar is the major uh aspect and as a dinosaur lover all of that speaks yeah no i i definitely agree uh i think the dinosaur form is is kind of your bread and butter form that you're gonna get Mm -hmm. the most use out of yeah great great first first pick so moving on to a level for, for a higher level doesn't necessarily have to be uh level four but mine is And that is the ancestral form. Now, this is one of the few that you do have to take a feat to gain, but it is wild. (laughs) You, your shifter form lasts for an hour and you can refocus during that time. So you could constantly be spending points just every uh, uh, 50 minutes. Be like, gotta go powder my nose. (laughs) When you enter the shifter form, you take on the form of the alter ego you choose in the ancestral form feat. You gain that alter ego's heritage and all of their ancestry feats. You do a ancestry change. You become a second person. This would be amazing in a social campaign. The ability to have a completely second person you become. Not only that, but you gain the abilities of that uh, ancestry. That is wild. (laughs) It's so cool. It's so cool. And like, it just gets better. Um, There are a ton of feats that you can take that support this. Um, It's awesome. I I have no idea when this would actually be relevant in a game that I play in, but (laughs) man, it'd be fun. And here's the thing. You could play it as two different players at the table, too. And like you guys are just never in the same room at the same time. One of you is just inconspicuous, excuse me, inconspicuous, you know, off doing their own thing. That could be helpful for those groups who can never get every single person at the table. Exactly. (laughs) And it's just so freaking cool. Uh, So, 10 out of 10. 
<laughs> uh, the next one I want to bring up is a little bit higher level uh, shifter form three. Uh, you get it from either the arcane and primal traditions. And that's the owl bear form, which everyone knows has been a, a bit of a source of debate ever since the Dungeons and Dragons movie trailer came up and you got to see someone transform into it when the rules never exist in <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons to be able to do that. So I just thought it was funny that in this book, uh, you actually got to do it. Uh, you get to screech at people. You get to snag at them as a reaction. Um, like it's not the most powerful of the ones that you get to do, but you get to be an owl bear, and I think yeah. that's pretty fun. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, I I have been forgetting to say that the uh, shifts for these are things that you will automatically get. So for the owl bear, what shift do you get? Uh, with the owl bear, you get wild claws. And I guess I should go back to uh, dinosaur form where you. I think you also get wild claws. No, nope. uh, with dinosaur form, you get larger stature. So you become. Mm. Embiggened, that's right, which that's right. makes sense with the uh, the stomp grapple feature. Mm -hmm. It's true. You know, if you're a medium creature, that means you'll go up to, to large. So that means that you can grapple pretty much any medium creature. And uh, in la larger stature should keep on going up, I believe. Uh, so you'll get to be a bigger and bigger form of dinosaur and stomp on smaller and smaller versions of creatures that would otherwise be pretty big to everyone. That's pretty awesome. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> so the last form that I wanted to talk about is the uh, cave worm. This is a 14th level form. Wow. Which is pretty insane. As uh, primal tradition, uh, you get a stinger as your shift, which great. Uh, you also get a jar a jaw attack uh, and gain the be benefits of Titan Wrestler automatically, which is super great. Mm -hmm. uh, you get their shake off ability or shake it off, um, which <laughs> is awesome, of course. Job. Or Beyonce. No, no, no. It's, it's Taylor, not. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Oh, God. <laughs> this is how good I am at cultural. <laughs> that's, that's pretty funny, though. I'm going to never forget you thought that was Beyonce. <laughs> um, then you have eruption as your major aspect. So you can actually burrow underneath things and come up. Because you're a giant cave worm. <laughs> And yeah, bursting out of the ground, throwing crap everywhere. Yeah, I that's just, a really I love awesome it. move. That's so great. All of the forms are like this. And for my last form, it's not quite as high as 13th. In fact, it's a shifter form four uh, that you can get with any of the traditions. Uh, and that's custom form, which to me seems like one that pretty much anyone would want to take. Uh, your body takes on an amalgamation adjustments. You gain the following aspect. Choose two shifts you prepared today. You apply these shifts without the stance trait. So you're basically, you know, kind of doing a Build-A-Bear version of any of the these forms you're coming up with your own look your own set of weapons uh it doesn't look like anything besides like what you want it to be and as you level up with it your greater aspect is you get another uh shift with your major aspect you get another shift so you're going to have looks like five shifts by the end of the <laughs> by the time that you max out this form which you know is gonna look wild it's gonna be incredible if like you could do it 
earlier, like I could definitely see this being a, a favored form for many people. But uh, since it's a fourth level form, got to wait for a little bit. Its shift that it gets automatically is adapt shift, which we already talked about. Talked about how before. awesome that is. But there are so many other kinds in here uh, that so you'll many. probably recognize from other campaigns. Uh, Cruels, or no, 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 Kruths is what it's called. Mm. Hellhounds, Giants, Octopus, uh, Gelatinous Cube is even one of them. So uh, All of the Elementals. Yep. Dragons are definitely in here too. Sin Spawn. So you're going to have a lot of choices with this class, which that's our favorite part about Pathfinder is the amount of choice that you get to have. So overall, that's really Oh, yeah. But some of these shifts can only, shifts and forms can only be brought about through feats. Uh, so Beth, tell us a little bit about a couple of your favorites. Yeah, so I will say with the feats, there are some that are much, much better than others. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, vehicle form is the best feat to exist. <laughs> um... <laughs> No, uh, there's some really, really cool ones, but there are just some that are that are better. Attack of Opportunity at level six. I already mentioned that, but I want to talk about it again. Anytime you can get Attack of Opportunity, do it. I yep. will tell you right now, your GM will be mad at you, but yes, do it. He will or she will. I get yeah, very mad at my player who <laughs> yep. has two attacks of opportunity as well as a flail that gets to continually knock me down. So yeah, super um, fun banned. for GMs. Absolutely banned. <laughs> no, no, no. One of my really kind of favorite feats as I was going through was the uh, surprise shape change. So this is kind of similar to what we talked about with one of the traditions, but when a creature who has not previously seen you shift, uh, you get a, you do a deception check, and when you crit if you critically succeed, I say win because obviously you're going to. Uh, they're fat flat footed against you until the end of your next turn. Right. So that's awesome, especially because it's a uh, reaction. And so this triggers as you enter your shifter four. So you can Which really is, stack that up. The one that really spoke out to me is a second level feat called Shifter's Deliberation, uh, mm -hmm. which is triggered. It's a free action that triggers when you're about to roll initiative. Uh, essentially, you are just going to choose to be last in initiative order. You don't roll initiative at all. But as a free action at the start of your turn, you get to enter into your form or your stance. So you don't have to you know, spend the, the extra actions to do that. You just like, Quacha! and then you get to get right onto it. Um, you know, obviously being last in initiative is, you know, the, the, the give and take of this, but this is something that I could see being super effective in any combat situation. So I really liked it as an option to, to not have that uh, action task, a way that you could avoid it uh, while not being too overpowered. Because, you know, you're just standing there last in initiative order. A lot can happen, but, you know, this gets you that little bit of extra oomph when it finally does. Get yeah, no. I, I definitely agree. I will say that at level four, there is something called form expansion. Uh, so you get a additional favored form. Mm -hmm. Now you already have to have it in your shifter nexus. 
and it must be in your shifter tradition. But holy crap, who wouldn't take that, right? right? The only way that you can get access to your aspects, so like the major aspects that we've been talking about, the additional benefits that you get as you level up, you're only going to get access to that if it's your favorite form. So why wouldn't you take favored form or an additional favored form? Uh, so form expansion really big. Um, and and there's nothing else at level four except for as uh ancestral form. I will say if you're going for that social build, that one's pretty good. <laughs> and yeah, my my bit of looking into this is I'm kind of getting into the review part a little mm-hmm. bit early, but there there are a lot of feats, which generally mm-hmm. is is a pretty good thing. But some of them I felt could have either been incorporated into uh, a shift somehow or one of the forms or or could have been left out entirely. So like one of them is your next, which is a, a feat some other class has. I forget what that one is, but it's a, a feat level one. I'll talk about it more at the review stage, but there's there's almost no reason to take that one over some of the other options that you have. Uh, so there's there's some in here that like I think could either be make uh, a form a little bit better, or maybe you could make them into some higher level to do a little bit more, uh, so that there's more to choose as go on instead of so many front loaded uh, feats. But yeah, that's kind of all I have to say broadly and t- until we get to the the review stage. Well, before we get there. We- We need to talk about archetypes. Yes. And just like last episode, we got two. (laughs) They're not the ones that we already talked about. No, (laughs) no, they're not. So the first one I actually want to go over, you would think, would be the dedication feat. You would be wrong. It is not. It is actually alchemical shifter, which is a class archetype. You actually take this much like the spell shot for the gunslinger, you take this at first level and it changes a bit about your class. But then at second level is when you actually take the alchemical shifter dedication feat. So what this allows for is that you don't gain a shifter tradition, a favorite form, or a focus pool. You lose your focus points, Pete. I'm sorry to say. But you remember almost an hour ago when I said uh, you can there's a fourth ability score. This is it. You can choose intelligence as your key ability score. But because this is kind of a meshing of uh, the alchemist and the shifter, you gain some stuff. From you essentially gain the alchemist dedication. It also changes how you shift. So your forms, instead of taking a focus point, use a batch of infused reagents. So Jekyll and Hyde, essentially. Exactly. Exactly. And then from then on, you would take dedication feats from the alchemist dedication. So if you knew you had this idea of this Jekyll and Hyde character that you wanted to build, this would be the absolute best way to do it. (laughs) Now, I will say it, it isn't, in my opinion, like as upfront that this counts as an alchemist dedication. But once you read it again, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. Because, like we said in the interview portion, there's not, like, additional feats. You would just take alchemist feats. Right. Which is great. Um, I think including that as a ulterior way to play the shifter, uh, as an alchemical shifter, is a great idea. And um, 
the fact that you can use this if you didn't like focus points. I know, blasphemy. <laughs> don't ever it's, tell me you don't like focus points or we'll have worse. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, in, in fairness, I do agree. I actually really like the focus point system. But if you, for some reason, hated it, this would be the thing to take. Uh, and I like that. I like options, right? We're Pathfinder yeah. people. That's what we like. Yeah. Next is the uh, shifter multi-class archetype. So usually, right, exactly, right, of course, like, it is a basic necessity if you're going to publish a class, you need the archetype for it. And normally I would say, oh, this is just a standard archetype. I disagree. I think it's better. Mm. So as the shifter dedication, you gain a shifter form from a tradition that you uh, pick, whatever skill you're using as the prerequisite for the feat. Uh, you use focus, focus points like you normally would. You would gain one if you didn't have one. And you get trained in the shifter class DC, which is great. That's pretty basic intro to the class. Right. Then you get at level four, you have the option of taking basic shape shifting. You gain a shifter feat. Pretty basic. Then you get something called shifter hardiness. This is, again, a level four feat that you can choose. Right. You gain three additional hit points for each shifter archetype class feat you have. Which isn't one of the uh, feats that you get to pick from the normal class. I, I don't no, think I've, there's one that I have gives never seen anything points. like that, Yeah, which is really cool. And again, when we're talking about third-party products, seeing something that I've never seen before, I'm here for it. I love it. Right. Now, I will say that your class has to grant no more hit points than eight plus your constitution modifier. But if you are, you know, a spellcaster or something who's trying to take some options uh, in case it, things get hairy and you're accidentally in combat, this is a great idea. And you use this with the free archetype feat. You get some extra hit points. You get a little bit of shape shifting. It just allows you to have more versatility. Right. I am absolutely here for it. The rest of them are pretty standard. You have advanced shape-shifting, uh, which, again, will give you more feet. You get the advanced aspect and the greater aspect, which all of these, with taken with your shifter hardiness, would increase your hit points, which is just a really cool interaction that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. So that is the shifter class. There are, of course, feats that we didn't talk about, forms that we didn't oh, go into nice. that you will need to get the product to be able to get the full experience. But now we're going to have a little bit of hot takes. Mm. So one that we like to talk about uh, that came from Beth's original podcast, or it's still your podcast, uh, yeah. but Dice Don't Die is like a discussion of what ancestry option you think would be a great choice to pick for this class. So Beth, what, what do you think? What's your hot take? My hot take is literally anything because of the new ancestry changes. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so excited for those and I needed a chance to talk about them. Don't worry. <laughs> We'll be talking about it, it more on Dice Don't Die, but like seriously, that is one of the coolest changes. Uh, I think thematically is where we should be focusing, right? What thematically makes sense? What other things? I'm sorry, but what points you get to add into strength is boring. Yeah. And I don't want to have to pick an uh, uh, heritage or, or, excuse me, an ancestry based off of that. I never right. have. Honestly, like, I wish I had implemented this in my games way sooner. Uh, I haven't even told my players yet. Honestly, I, I uh, haven't had a chance to be like, all right, guys, 
If you want to rework your characters, now's the chance. But right. it is. This is an awesome change. And now you can look at other abilities, like a Kitsune, who is also a shape changer, right? So there's now two avenues of shape change, right? You've right. got some from your ancestry and some maybe you're like super uh into the kitsune and so you create a custom form that is this um epic uh you know eight-tailed fox or whatever which could just be amazing (laughs) for those of you who haven't been keeping up with the latest and greatest in pathfinder news there was uh recently released and this is january of 2023 bit of errata for the fourth printing of the core rule book uh that changes how ancestries work in the books uh all of the books up till till this point every non-human ancestry has come with a flaw usually uh those who get two boosts to set and a uh, free skill boost always had a flaw or some of them always came with mandatory boost but no extra flaw what this rule change does is wipes those off the board you can still choose to do that if you want to um it limits your character choices a little bit but it also gives you a couple more options for those ones that have uh, two boosts and a flaw where you get to just have two ability boosts and no flaw and you can put them which means that you no longer have to have a dwarf who always a little bit worse at charisma than can have a super charismatic dwarf now who is actually secretly an elf <laughs> So it's not a change that you have to do. Uh, It's not saying none of these things that existed before are canon anymore. Uh, You can definitely still have the quote unquote bioessentialism uh, versions of the uh, ancestries, but now you have a little bit more tools to be able to make more versatile ones while still having the uniqueness of the uh, ancestry feats that every ancestry gets that is unique to that ancestry. Uh, so it just reworks the the math a little bit so that you're not so restricted. So yes, I would agree with you that all of them now are definitely good and viable. So one of the one of the characters that we built uh, as we were kind of testing these was a sprite that turned into a dinosaur. Oh. <laughs> This tiny little thing that inflates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, at first oh level, God. it's like a little compy that comes and mm-hmm. bites your ankles, but eventually it's a T Rex. Right. Exactly. And I just, I love that. And your sprite can have plus two strength, plus two decks if you want them to. Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> Do it. But even without those considerations, uh, there's three that I think really fit within the shifter uh, class uh, particularly well. Uh, the first two, Kitsune and Anadi. Mm-hmm. Kitsune are fox-type folk from uh, Japanese folklore, have a bunch of different tails, kind of like Vulpix from Pokemon, and they can transform between like a human form and this cool fox. Uh, Anadi, similarly, are people who can turn from humans into big spiders. They're really cute spiders. I know if you're ever arachnophobia like avoid this one but they're really spiders um (laughs) it's a it's a great ancestry too so if you want an ancestry that just has like more transformations like those are two great ones i think but also flesh warp (laughs) there's not many cases where you get to say yeah flesh warp but uh the idea of this creature that is this 
abomination before God of of different body parts and different shapes and like ooey gooeyness and stuff. Also having the ability to shift its form into, you know, all these different things, I think is is very thematically awesome. Those are my recommendations for uh, ancestries to pick if you want. I think if you're going with purely traditional or basic, I'm going to call you basic. You would go human, though, right? Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, what it says about us as humans. (laughs) (laughs) Every Transformer that we've ever known has, well, not, I guess. Anyway, so now we are at our last little bit, which is our overall thoughts about this class. Beth, you covered a lot of things in depth, uh, really took a look at the mechanics of this class. What do you think? I think as long as you're not afraid of trying something third party, if you're going to let your players go out of their comfort zones, I would absolutely play this class. I think that, is it going to be the star of the show? Be aware of that, maybe. Uh, Especially if you have a min-maxer at the table, Mm -hmm. just kind of be aware of that. But in other ways, I think there's still some, you know, work that could be had on this class as well. I love it, okay? I'm going to start there. (laughs) I love it. It's yeah. great. You should play it. Uh, the entire book is worth twelve dollars. Is uh, twelve dollars up on uh, drive through or drive through? Yeah, yes. Pathfinder and yeah, both. And it is well worth that. Like you get two classes and a bunch of stuff. I do think there is some formatting issues in the PDF. Um, I think some more care could have been taken with the layout a little bit. Uh, additionally, I'm going to judge any PDF that doesn't have bookmarks. I don't care Mm -hmm. if it's put out by an individual or a huge company. I think it should have bookmarks at minimum. So I will always like judgmental about that. Sure. But there are so many wonderful options and things that I think would just go absolutely at home, uh, at your table. And, uh, I already have a player who's looking at their current character who's a druid right and we struggle with battle forms they are not our favorite mechanic looking at how forms are done here and saying well maybe i'll like this better Mm -hmm. and um to see that character kind of evolve with this class i think would be wonderful so this is something i'm already looking at implementing at my table Excellent. That's a a stirring recommendation from Beth. I'm a little bit more of a downer in this case. Love Brian. Overall, I think that the class is really cool concept-wise. There's a bit more... I think could be worked on execution wise. One of those ways is with language. There's shifts, shifter forms, shifting, and then of course being a shifter. That's a lot of shifts. I think that there could be some language change to differentiate them. So like Beth, when you're thinking of a person who changes into an animal, what's the, what's the thing that you think of? The cultural thing that you think of? Werewolf? Animorphs. Oh, animorphs. Yeah, (laughs) sure. Absolutely. And morph is already a a trait that Brian already said that he uses. Polymorph is is another one. Morph, I think, could have easily been a a term that was used a a little bit more to help differentiate between the shifts, uh, the forms, so that it's not always, you know, shift into a shift, uh, morph into a shift or something like that, just so that it's it's a little bit easier to read. A shifter's shifter form alters your entire form. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very awkward sentence. 
it is. But anyway, I'm also going to come a little bit down on how many choices there are. Again, Pathfinder, we love choices. But something that has to be keenly aware of when designing, especially for 2E, is to avoid the choice paralysis that came with first edition. Having too much stuff, too many different avenues and boxes that you have to connect to make things work. And that's one of the things I felt was with this, with so many forms, with so many shifts, I really think the number of feats that you get could be scaled back tremendously. Some of these things could probably be put together, incorporated into forms or shifts or something like that to make them work. Your next is definitely a feat, but why not have another shift that is like glowing eyes that you know kind of does the same thing where you do get to do the intimidation check like that takes away a little bit more from the feats that you get to choose but it gives you more options with what you get to do with the class so that's that's one thing that i would do is is focus on the essentials of what the class is not try to make it do everything at once and also to organize it a little bit better it it seems a lot bigger than it actually is as far as things that you have access to uh because of the tradition some of the things you don't get unless you have you know the arcane tradition um mm-hmm. so i would have loved to have like little subcategories under the feats even of what you get with each dedication or even having like the dedication be their own little feat block just so that you could see like what's available to everyone and what's only available to people who take this tradition which i know is kind of a, a step away from how pathfinder stuff usually is organized generally they just right. put them everywhere but it can come in handy so that's my one thing but by far my two biggest gripes as far as like the core of the mechanics is form focus which is a level one which is is where your intensive study enables you to adopt different forms more frequently choose one of the following focus spells you gain this as a shifter focus spell increase the number of focus points in your pool by to me this seems like maybe something that could have been incorporated into the base of the class kind of like how flurry of blows is for for the monk of just like this base mechanic that everyone gets all the time no matter what they are i think that could have been something that could have also helped reduce the total number of feats but this one to me out of all of the feats reads is the one that like you're going to have to take yeah so especially because it's um two focus points in at level one Exactly. The other one is with the novel Gestalt, which this is incredible. It's an awesome mechanic. Why is it at 19th level? Almost no group gets to to 19th level. Like the only adventure path that I have ever gotten this close to 19th level is Fist of the Ruby Phoenix. And that's because it starts at 10. I would love to see this reformatted where the novel Gestalt happens earlier. Uh, Doesn't necessarily have to happen low level, but like maybe 10th level. A, a region where most people will actually get because I think this is one of the coolest parts about it that I don't think anyone's actually ever going to get to experience because of how high up it is and the the levels that you get to choose. So yeah, that's fair. Um, I think overall this is a fun class. I think it could be reworked, reformatted a little bit, but otherwise it it's it's super cool. You get to change it's so cool into all of these creatures and you get to have like spikes on your arm or you know horns or venomous fangs and that stuff is awesome i love that stuff no question about it. um just would like to see a couple of tweaks to make it more user-friendly and get to experience the cool stuff automatically so those are my yeah i think overall i agree 
for sure. Um, when it comes to it, I think as is, it is absolutely still something I would let one of my players play. Yes. And that's the ultimate rating is, would you let your players play it? And yes, I would let my players play this. Easily. Absolutely. I, I would be excited to have one at my table. Because here's the thing. I really hate battle forms. <laughs> <laughs> I really hate battle forms, and this, I think, does it so much better. Yeah, I so. I think it works as a class as is right now. Just a mm-hmm. couple little improved. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. what Do we do we have a star rating? Should we have, like, a star system? I'm, uh, uh, we can. I can tell you, normally we just rate it out of Beth, but I feel that's inappropriate for this one. Normally, I give things Beth's. I'll rate it four out of five hero. Mm, I'm going to give it eight out of 10 strawberries. Okay, there we go. Eight out of 10 strawberries, four out of five. Four out of five hero, hero points. points. That's, that's a solid <laughs> 80% rating uh, for B for this class. So still really great. And like Beth said, there is so much more to this book than just the shifter class. Oh, so good. So even if you're listening to this class and you're like, eh, that's not for me, tons of new spells, new archetypes, all sorts of different ways to interact with magic, which is, you know, one of the core bits of any sword and sorcery fantasy thing. So definitely still worth checking out if that is also. Uh, but with that, Beth, uh, we come to a conclusion. So if you want to get the Frontiers of Magic, there will be a link in the show notes. Uh, it's available on Pathfinder Infinite as well as Drive Through RPG. Definitely give it a check out. And until we do our next review, uh, I'm going to put this up to, to audience participation what is our tagline now it used to be we'll see you on the next adventure our thing has changed i was kind of thinking maybe don't let the reviews review you <laughs> it's silly but that's my tagline like for my original blog you like it all right well let's try that out for size then all right so until the next review don't, don't let, let the reviews the reviews <laughs> review you okay review you change it face the strange